All right. What about the devil's attacks? You know, some people think if they don't commit certain sins, that um, they don't have to repent or be saved, and they'll eventually end up in heaven instead of hell. The reality is that for a person to end up in hell, they have to do absolutely nothing. If you don't repent, then ultimately you end up in hell. Because the standard for heaven is perfection. Any takers? See, if you're not perfect, then you have to come by the way that God has made, the person of Jesus Christ. Nobody gets in without him. What a deception to those thinking that if um, they do nothing, they will eventually be in heaven, and yet they won't. And that's what Satan's all about, your deception for eternity. People are said to be the children of God or the children of the devil in 1 John 3, 10. You belong to one family or the other. The one, you're born into this world. The other, you're born into the kingdom of God spiritually. You're born into both of them. All of us were born into this world, not by our choice, but by our parents' choice. When we get into heaven, it's because we've made a choice on our own to realize that we're sinners and accept Jesus Christ who died for our sins. And it is personal, individual, and it will affect your eternity. To remain in a fallen state, you have to do nothing. Jesus said the devil's a liar. He's never told the truth. There's no truth in him. In John 8, 44, he's the father of lies. After the fall, Adam and Eve, um, God gave the promise. He says, now we'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the woman being a virgin. Um, the seed uh, is provided by the man. The woman has the egg. One day God would become man and would die in our place that we might be able to be forgiven and redeemed by God. So once you're born again, now you're the enemy's attack. You're the object of his attack. When you and I were in the world, Satan didn't bother us. He opened doors for us. When you're a child of God, now you're an enemy. When you weren't a Christian, you and I were enemies of God. Now we're enemies of Satan. It's not that's the target on your back and on your chest and on your head and everywhere else. But I don't think that he bothers with me. I'm not that important. Or you. But he does have a lot of demons and angels that are fallen that do all his bidding, right? <laughs> Satan can't be at every place at the same time, so he's probably with the biggies, the leaders of the world, different places, different things. Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. First Chronicles 21.1. David fell for it. He knew he shouldn't number the people. He did. Zechariah tells us, Then the, he showed me a Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Zechariah 3, 1 and 2 says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Satan will always be after you, one way or the other. 
because you are a child of God. You are born into warfare. God doesn't ask you if you want to be in warfare. You are born into warfare. When does it end? When you give your last breath. Keep that in mind. In view of this, let's look at what the Bible reveals about the devil's attack. Looking at three things. First, the devil and his three conversations. Second, the devil and his threefold attack. And thirdly, the devil and the three keys to spiritual warfare. We begin with the devil and his three conversations. There are only three places in Scripture where we have the actual conversation of Satan. And they teach us some very important things. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. This is where Satan slanders God to man, Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 1, he slandered God to man by questioning God's word to stir up doubt. He said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Creating doubt. God is not telling the truth. God's a liar. He slandered God the man by saying God lies to bring about mistrust towards God. You will not surely die. Chapter 3, verse 4. God said you're going to die. You're not going to die. When you and I were growing up and our parents told us, don't go there, don't do that, don't hang out with that person, or certain things are going to happen, we knew it all, didn't we? And we ate it big time. God slandered God, or Satan slandered God to man, stating God was trying to keep them from what was good and beneficial for them in order to rebel and disobey. He says, For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God's just a killjoy. He wants to limit you. He wants to bind you up. He wants to, you know, one thing with being young and growing up is, especially when you start getting in your teens, you, you think your parents just want to make your life miserable, right? They're just looking around to see what worst things you like so they can make you do it, right? Well, God was trying to protect them. Satan was trying to destroy them. Some believe the rebellion in heaven by Lucifer took place between verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1 by sometimes using two passages. The first one is in Isaiah 45, 18. Listen carefully. For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord Yahweh and there is no other. The problem is the context is prophecy regarding Cyrus as the instrument of God to judge Babylon and that he is the sovereign creator of the earth and man. That's the context. You can't use that. 
looking backwards between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis. The second is in Jeremiah 4, 23 and 27. It says, And behold, the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I behold the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth, and I beheld, and indeed there was no man. And all the birds of the heavens had fled, and behold, I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness. And all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus saith the Lord Yahweh, the whole land shall be desolate, yet it will not make a full end. So they take that verse also and point it backward between verse 1 and 2. Now, though prophecy do have a twofold fulfillment at times, as we've seen, they do so looking forward, not backwards. Very important. Prophecy is prophetic forward, not commentary backward. Jeremiah's prophecy is speaking of the future judgment of Israel. Babylon is the short term. The long term is the events of the Lord's day regarding Israel during the tribulation, great tribulation. The ultimate fulfillment of 2 Peter 3.10 when the whole earth is burned up and the heavens and everything at the end of the thousand years. Some even use these two passages for the Gap theory. How many of you have heard about the gap theory? Okay. That's a belief that between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis, there was a destruction, a recreation. Yet, as you look at the text, there is nothing that you would find there. What you have going on, and, and many people do this, is to stick their fossil record to kind of line up with the evolutionary kind of thing with millions of years that it could have been, and that's where the fossils are. No, the fossils cry out flood, destruction, cataclysm worldwide. The highest mountains have shellfish, sea life in them. How'd they get there? Fossils cry out judgment. Not ice ages. Okay? Very important. Now, one time I also thought it might be possible, but as I studied more and more, it was very clear that there's no possibility to it. First, the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is the condition prior to the chronological process that God created. There is nothing in the text that reveals a destruction. And yet some even go as far as to translate the word was as became. And the, and the earth was without form and void and became. That's not a good translation at all. Yet some of your modern translations will translate it that way. Because of the evolutionary influence that's crept into the church. But also, the most authoritative authority is the Bible. And it teaches us just one verse destroys the gap theory. One verse, Romans 5.12. Sin entered in by one man 
and death through sin. So it passed to all men. Romans 5.12 says, death did not exist before Adam. Simple. End of conversation. Highest authority, the Bible. The New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament, not the reverse. The Old Testament is progressive and in fracture form, fulfilled and completed in the New Testament. Simple principle. Now, that's the first conversation in Genesis there. The second conversation is recorded in the book of Job, where Satan slanders man now to God. Job chapter 1 and 2 is our text. And Satan slandered Job before God, saying he was faithful only because God had protected and prospered him. Um, in verse 9 of chapter 1, um, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10, have you not made a hedge around him, around his whole household, around all that he has and on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. God just, he just loves you because you, you keep blessing him. Verse 11 says, but now God says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will ensure he will surely curse you to your face, Satan says to God. Now remember who brought the testing on Job, right? God brought the testing on Job. God said, hey, Lou, what are you doing, Lou? Oh, nothing, cruising up and down the earth, to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? The word consider is a military term, the most strategic, the most vulnerable place of Job. If God allows you to be tested, he enables you to become victorious through the warfare, through the armor, through his wisdom. People always ask me, what's the purpose of the book of Job? Ready? God is sufficient. Simple. Whatever he allows you to go through, he's sufficient. Verse 12, he says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of of the Lord. Satan has limited authority. He has to get permission from God for anything to be placed before us. He's limited. Job maintained his integrity, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. He said this, Naked I came in from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in verse 21. Wow. In 22, in all that Job did, he did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Amazing. If you've ever read the book of Job, he went through some heavy things. A second time, Satan comes before God as the sons of God presented themselves and now he slanders Job before God the second time saying if Job's health was removed he would surely curse God yea a man will give all that he has skin for skin verse 4 Satan in chapter 2 answered the Lord and he said skin for skin yet all that a man has he will give 
for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his home and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face, verse 5 says. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Verse 6, there's a limit. God put the limit. It says that Job maintained his integrity in chapter 2, verse 7 through 10. Verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils for the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Verse 8 says, and he took for himself potter, which he scraped himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Verse 9, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Ooh. I'd like to have a wife like that or a husband. That's why it's important that you're equally yoked, that you're both Christians. You both walk with God. Verse 10 says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Wow. Second conversation, very important, right? God gives permission. God enables. The third and last conversation is recorded for us in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. We'll use that. During the other gospel, we'll just use that one. Uh, in Luke 4, 3 through 4, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to satisfy his physical hunger, as you know, um, to strengthen himself turning the stones into bread rather than uh, drawing strength from God's word. And the devil said to him, if, affirming, since you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, there's nothing wrong with bread. Or to eat. But at this particular time, it was not right because he wanted him to do it as God. And Jesus came as the last Adam to allow God the Father to do the things through him only as, his will, as he will. So that you and I have an example and a pattern and footsteps by which to follow. What he did, he did as a man, not as God. For if he did what he did as God, then you and I don't have any hope. But if he did it as a man, the last Adam, just like the first Adam was, then you and I are busted. We have no excuse. The only thing we can say is we have not depended on God. Wow. Satan tried to tame Jesus to worship him by appealing to his intellect, his emotion, and his will. By offering him the kingdoms of the world rather than obeying God's word again. In verse 5 and 8 of Luke 4. Then the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6, the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, 
Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. What Satan said was a lie. The earth belongs to God, not the devil. The devil's a liar. He has never told the truth. He'll always sprinkle some truth. John 8, 44 tells us that. So whenever Satan comes to you, he's going to have some scripture. He quotes scripture better than you, by the way. But it's out of context. Fractured. Twisted. He's called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. He has dominion. What God gave to Adam was dominion over the earth. God didn't give the earth to Adam. If you think he did, find me a verse. He gave him dominion. When Adam fell, that dominion was usurped by, the Satan, by Satan. He's the God, the prince, the ruler of this world. But he doesn't own the earth. He's a squatter. All right? The earth belongs to God, the psalm says. Satan tried to tempt Jesus, also to tempt God, appealing to his spirit, desiring Jesus to cast himself off the temple, as you know. Luke 4, 9 through 12. And 9, it says, Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If or since you are the Son of God, throw yourself from here. He constantly wanted him to act in the ability and authority and power of God, deity. He would not do that. Man shall not live by bread alone. Man. Last Adam. He says, For it is written, You shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in their hands. They shall bear you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Verse 10 11. He misquoted it. He's a liar again. He adds, takes away, twists, misquotes, whatever. Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 12. The very motive and goal and appeal is to tempt God, and we're not to tempt God. You remember Absalom, the son of David. He couldn't resist the temptation of Satan, so he stole the hearts of the people with his words as he sat in the gate, and the people would come to hear the cases, and he would kiss them. Oh, if I were a king, I'd, I'd hear everybody's matters. Pride. The devil in his three conversations teaches to not talk to him or believe him. He's a liar. And yet how often we get caught up in the conversation as he comes and he starts sharing things like, yeah, I remember what you, you know. You really believe you're saved? You really believe God forgave you about, you know, that night? Remember what you did? God has made you whiter than snow. Who can bring a charge to God's elect? No one. Wow. Second, we have the devil in this threefold attack. The devil will tempt every man and woman in three basic areas. This is given to us in 1 John 2.16. The lust of the flesh is from within. 
that sinful nature that attempts to pervert and distort my physical drives through my body. There is nothing wrong with our physical bodies in and of themselves. Acts of sin come through thought process, through sin nature, to possess what is forbidden by God or to commit what is forbidden, such as desiring to steal someone's possessions, to possess someone sexually, or whatever it may be. You, you put, put it on the list, whatever it is. There is right and wrong. That's why there's morals, there's ethics. Now, we live in an amoral society in America now. After the year 2000, we are an amoral society. Judgments are evil. So now everybody is forced to make no judgments to bring confusion and corruption and perversion. And yet, in spite of that, they want to cry out for justice. How do you do that when there's no standard? <laughs> How do you bring consequences when there's no warning? It's unjust. So the lust of the flesh. We have sin nature. But now we're born again. We have a divine nature. We don't have to yield to it. We can resist where before Christ we didn't, we just gave in. The lust of the eye is a second window, and that is from without. That stirs up my emotions and desires to obtain what I see by way of my soul. The lust of the eye cultivates the longing, and the intellect stirs up the emotions, weakening my will to surrender and sin. And that's what we're told to bring our thoughts into captivity. What are we thinking on? What are we meditating on? What are we talking about? Who are we hanging out with? Where do we go? All of that's important. Doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. We just know that we can't handle it. That's wise. That's being wise. Now the woman is more susceptible by her emotions than a man. God has made her like that purposely, I think, to hold the wife, the, the, the house, and the family together much more. She's more compassionate. She's more tender. The man is coarser. And therefore, a woman will make more decisions by her emotions. Doesn't mean she's not smart. Doesn't mean she's not intellectual. It means that she's wired differently. That's all. You know, I have no problem my left and my right. This is my left, this is my right. My wife says, turn left, and she looks down to see what hand her ring's on. We're wired differently. But if I'm not born again, I say, you're stupid. Right? But if I'm born again, I thank God that we're so different because it makes things work. <laughs> and that's why God puts men to protect women. That's why God says, one man for one woman. To protect her. It's simple. The most dangerous. The most dangerous aspect. Of human society. Is a young single male. Conquerors. Unprotectors. Marriage used to domesticate a man. And make him responsible. Not anymore. The American man has been neutered. By the American female. So we've lost everything. 
absolutely everything through deception. We as Christians now understand this. We see this. So we can stand in the gap and protect our wives, protect our daughters, praying for them, instructing them, showing them the example. Very important. Warfare. The pride of life is the third nest from within. That arrogance of self-sufficiency, boasting, self-willed, and self-centered. That's my spirit. So body, soul, and spirit. All three are affected. Pride uh, led Lucifer to rebel and to corrupt one-third of the angels from heaven, as you know. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says. You see, the devil tempted Adam and Eve in the very same way. The woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, appealing to the body senses, pride. The fruit was pleasant to the eye. The appeal was to the soul, the emotions. So you have, first you have the body, now the emotions. And the tree desired to make one wise, the appeal to the spirit, to be as God. And that's always the case. You know, it's interesting, the topics today is they have programmed the divas. That means gods, the goddesses. Even in the church, you've got a whole kingdom theology the last 25 years. You are little gods. Paul Crouch and his wife, Pixie and Dixie, promoters of it. A lot of the kingdom theology of the big preachers, mega churches, kingdom theology. Nab it and grab it. Confess it. God wants you to be rich. You're a king's kid, right? Wow. The devil tempted Jesus in these three areas also that I've just mentioned. Jesus again was tempted in his body as Satan told him to turn the stones into bread. There in Luke 4, 3 through 4. Again, nothing wrong with eating bread, but it was sin because he was trying to have him to do it as God. When his mission was to fulfill everything as the last Adam, to demonstrate the first Adam didn't have to fail and the last Adam would not fail by depending on God. He was tempted in his soul when Satan offered him the kingdoms, their power, and their glory, involving the intellect, the emotions, the will. This was a compromise to the cross. Jesus was tempted in his spirit when Satan solicited him to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple to tempt the Lord. And yet, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was tempted in every way just as you are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. That is so reinforcing. That Jesus was tempted in a way that I will never be tempted because he never gave in. You and I, we can resist. We do resist, but we don't resist every time. So therefore, we really don't know the full force of the temptation because we give it before we can resist to the end. Jesus did this every time. 
So he received the fullest power against him, the fullest, most powerful spiritual warfare. He knows exactly. That's why he's a faithful high priest. Not only did Jesus resist in these three areas, Luke tells us Jesus was being tempted for 40 days. Then the three major ones came, Luke 4, 2. Adam and Eve had only one temptation. Mark says Jesus was with the wild animals, the beast, in Mark 1, 13. Adam and Eve were in the garden with tame animals. Matthew and Mark tell us Jesus fasted 40 days and nights in Matthew 4.2 and Luke 4.2. Adam and Eve did not. Luke tells us that Satan departed for a season till a better opportunity. Luke 4.13. Remember that. You're victorious over a testing? Great. Remember it. You're going to need it for the next time. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly, Jesus said in John 10, 10. You remember David and his ongoing willful disobedience to all the checks that were given to him by God as he stepped out on his balcony and he saw Bathsheba bathing. The minute he walked out, there was a check when he saw her. Whoa. Should have walked back in. And there were other checks as he stood there. Then as he walked back in and kept thinking about her, another check. Then he asked Ahasuerus, well, that woman out there, who is she? She is the wife of Uriah. He knew that that man, that she was his granddaughter. Another check. He called her to his quarters. Another check. By then he's done. He ignored all the checks, thinking he was sufficient. Or worse yet, the God would not care and he could get away with it. Hmm. Spiritual warfare is dangerous. It's serious. What happens to you happens to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your grandchildren to your friends. God holds us accountable. The devil in his threefold attack teaches us to not be ignorant to these three attacks. They're constant. Constant. Third is the devil and the three keys to spiritual warfare. First, the warfare is intense hand-to-hand combat. 
Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is not against flesh and blood, though Satan will use flesh and blood to attack us spiritually at times. Satan will use people, circumstances, events. But behind that is the spiritual power, the forces of the enemy. He's your enemy. He's my enemy. The word wrestle means um, simply the art of wrestling. A contest between two of which two individuals endeavor to throw each other. The one who decided to be the victor in those days was the one who pinned the opponent. Once they did that, they would hold their hands on their neck. The Greek wrestler who was victorious had an obligation towards the one who lost that he would gouge his eyes out, blinding him. This is what Satan does. If he can get you and I out in the arena of the flesh, hear me well. If you think that you can have, and you get out in the flesh, you are dead. You must fight him in the spirit. That's your only hope and my only hope. Paul says, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. So Satan had you and I blinded, and he has those who don't know Christ blinded. Lest the light of the glorious gospel come upon them. Spiritual warfare keeps them ignorant. Six times the word against appears that's constant opposition here in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. Paul tells us that he fought the good fight and kept the faith in 2 Timothy 4, 7 before his head rolled. These forces vary in rank and authorities. The subdivisions are both good and bad angels because Satan and his angels that rebel follow the same order as heaven. That's the only place they've been. Except it's on the dark side, that's all. Principalities, which means first ones or preeminent ones, leaders. Powers means authorities and spirit demons of Satan in the lower atmosphere that make up his kingdom, the heavenly places. Rulers of darkness refers to the world rulers of darkness. Wicked spirits to the spirit forces of perniciousness. Just lewdness. Um, horrific evil. Idi Amin, Hitler, all these men influenced by demons to do things that are so horrific to other people. We might look at these as privates, corporals, lance corporals, sergeants, staff sergeants, sergeant majors, etc. But also the warfare has a simple strategy. 
Here in Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, to defeat the believer in spiritual warfare. That's the strategy of the enemy, to defeat you and I. We need to be strong in the power of his might, first of all. Ephesians 6, 10 says, the power of his might. One of the failures of youth and being a young adult is that we trust our physical power, our ability to do things, our strength. But again, Satan says, yeah, that's right. Because if he can keep you in the flesh, you're dead. We need to put on the whole armor of God then in verse 11. It is his armor, specific, made for you. So the goal is to defeat the believer in spiritual warfare, but also to deceive the believer. All the warnings in the New Testament are to believers, not to be deceived. There is not one warning in the New Testament to the unbeliever to, be, to not be deceived. They are deceived. When you're born again, you are undeceived. Now you're alive. Now you know the truth. And God says, be careful that you're not deceived through these three windows that we've talked about. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. Satan has wiles. Methodia. Sound familiar? Methods. Cunning arts, deceit, craft, treachery. His back is like a little doctor's back. Remember doctors used to go house to house, a little back like that? He doesn't have many things in there. Drugs, alcohol, sex, greed, envy, jealousy, bitterness. It's not that big. Hmm. This word wiles comes from the verb to follow up or investigate by methods and settle plan to cause us to fall rather than to stand. Satan has his methods or stratagems to seek out the most vulnerable areas of your life. If you don't know your vulnerable areas, it's just a matter of time before he gets you. You need to know your strengths and you need to know your weaknesses. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. And an unguarded or ignorant weakness is a formula for destruction. Satan and his angels can transform themselves into angels of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 Once again, we read in Genesis, Has God said... Oh, you will not die. If you don't know the word of God in context, if you don't know it, if you don't know what God is, uh, wants you to know, then you can easily be manipulated, convinced, swayed. Like the guy that always tells her, but I love you. Simple. Draw you out by your feelings, by your emotions. 
Oh, but you're so pretty. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, I knew it. Finally, somebody has got some brains. Hmm. To enslave the believer also. To keep us in fear, doubt, discouragement, or depression, or despair. I have to give in to that. I have to play into his methods. To keep us angry, resentful, or bitter, unforgiving. We listen to him. We talk to him. We're not ignorant of his devices. And we shouldn't be that he not taken advantage of us, as 2 Corinthians 2.11 says. Six times the word against appears in Ephesians in view of the constant opposition in verses 11 through 12 of Ephesians 6. Six times against, 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 against. He comes as an angel of light, not as the hideous creature from hell with horns and red PJs. He's a beautiful angel, by the way. Perfect from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. But also the warfare can be resisted and overcome. That's the good news. Jesus resisted and overcame Satan in the wilderness, applying the same advice James gives to us in James 4, 7. Listen, submit to God. Second, resist the devil and he will flee. You cannot just submit to God and not resist. You cannot just resist and not submit to God. You must first submit to God. Don't, Don't resist. You submit to God. Then you'll be able to resist. If you resist, you're, you're trusting in your own strength. The flesh. The priority is submission to God first. And he will flee. Then thirdly, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So Ephesians gives no place for us to give place to the devil. Literally, a foothold. In Ephesians 4.27, give not a foothold to the devil. Don't let him, don't let, don't crack that door open and don't let him put his foot in the door. Because then there will be his arm, then his body and the dude's in. Then you're sitting there talking with him. You're asking, hey, you want some coffee? You know, you you make a lot of sense. Hmm. Jesus has um, provided the necessary weapons. The weapons are spiritual in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. They're not carnal, spiritual, bringing on the stronghold of the enemy. The armor of God that we've looked at in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Every Every piece of the armor, ending with prayer. By the way, Jesus um, used the same three in the wilderness. 
the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, driven by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness, prayer, and the Word of God. All three. Jesus promises that we, He would never allow us to be tempted more than we're able, but with every testing, show us a way of escape. I love that verse. And I hate that verse. I love it because I have great hope when I'm in difficult situations. But I hate it when I don't depend upon God because of my failures, all mine. When I could have passed the test. He is our sympathetic, merciful high priest that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, any time of the day, any time of the night, three in the morning, six in the morning, ten at night, you can call on the Lord. You're never going to get a busy line. You're never going to hear, well, wait, 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 I, I'm talking to somebody now. Wait, I can't hear two things at the same time. Wow. Judas Iscariot was destroyed by Satan by his own free will. He opened his heart to him. God didn't force it. God didn't predestine it. If God predestined Judas to betray his son, then how can God judge Judas Iscariot if God is the one responsible for his sin? He gave permission. God only knew that he gave permission. That's all. God knows everything. The wisdom is to have the Lord between you and the devil. Jude 8 and 9, Michael fighting with Satan over the body of Moses. The Lord rebuke you. Keep the Lord between you and the devil. Don't say, I rebuke you. Who are you? You ever read in Acts? Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? (laughs) Demons jumped on those guys and tore them up. There are churches and Christian traditions that are taught but not found in the Bible, such as I bind you, Satan. The phrase is never found in Scripture, never commanded in any of the letters, in any of the Gospels. The only time we find the the binding of Satan was Jesus is talking about demon possession, and he binds the strong man. He's giving the illustration of what he's doing, the strong man. Okay? But keep the Lord between you and him. All right? And especially extreme Pentecostal people. By the way, we are Pentecostal. We believe in the gifts. That's what it means, okay? But they go around binding and then they shake. I bind you. Like if saints go, are you kidding me? Or they use the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus redeems me. Once again, these phrases are never found nor are they ever used in Scripture. These are traditional things that are bound. Now, when Satan's harassing you, Satan's doing some stuff, then you need to come before him in the name of Jesus Christ. But you keep the Lord between you and him. The war is spiritual, and there is an ongoing battle in the angelic world that goes on constantly. Right now, there's good angels and bad angels fighting in here. We can't see them, but there's warfare going on. Angels are ministering spirits of the earth of salvation, as you know in Hebrews 1.14. Angels are used by God to um, protect and to aid man. Daniel 5 and many other portions, we see angels helping Paul and Peter and everything. Angels are used for judgment. Uh, they were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, to warn the people and bring judgment down. 
There are two worlds existing side by side in the very midst of us. God and his angels, Satan and his angels, and the spirit world of man and the spirit world uh, is in the midst of this physical world. And the spiritual world is as real as the physical world. We just can't see one, the other one we can. The spiritual world is very conscious of us and sees us while we, uh, um, physical man, are so ignorant about the spiritual world. Now when we're born again, we come into a great understanding of the reality of that spiritual world. So we have an advantage. See, the world today seeks out demons and necromancers and, and channelers and everything. And they think that, they're, you know, it's nifty, you know. It's, I get power and I get direction and I got to find the God in me. And you, you ever find yourself, you're going to be scared out of your drawers. It's all demonic. The new age of Aquarius, right? The New World Order, which, by the way, was proclaimed by George Bush Sr. <laughs> Interesting. You know, one day the chicken had a conversation with the pig in the farmyard, and um, they wanted to help the farmer for breakfast. So the chicken proceeded to say that um, um, she would provide all the eggs, you know. And um, she looked over, and Mr. Pig was kind of a little uh, concerned. And she said, what's the matter? He says, well, you know, when you provide the eggs, you're, you're involved. But if I provide the bacon, I'm committed. <laughs> um, there's a lot of Christians that are involved. Not committed. Not committed to the warfare or the church. You and I need to be committed. As God directs us and guides us. We're living in a very evil world, ladies and gentlemen. A very dark world and our nation is becoming darker and darker. But I have great hope in Christ Jesus. I'm not depressed. I offer you the greatest hope the soon return of Jesus Christ for his church. God has given us at least three more years window time. Hopefully seven. I can't see past that. But I don't know what God's going to do. So I'm not going to worry about it. I've got three. And I'm going to make the best of it. To preach the gospel. To instruct God's word. To put on the armor. To do good warfare. And be looking for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And pull people out of the fire. That's what you and I are supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen. Not worry about what's going on in the world. <laughs> are you being distracted? Are you being deceived? Then you're failing in the warfare. You don't have to. Are you committed to the spiritual warfare? If you are then you will never think you are sufficient in yourself, but keep the Lord between you and Satan. Listen to Zechariah 3.2. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? You and I are a brand plucked out of the fire. That was John Wesley's scripture for himself. 
God is for us, not against us. So the devil in the three keys to spiritual warfare teaches us not to forget that the warfare, listen, is spiritual. Spiritual. This is what the Bible reveals about the attacks of the devil by these three things. The devil and the three conversations did not talk to the devil. The devil and his threefold attack to not be ignorant to the three areas of attack. And the devil and the three keys to spiritual warfare to not forget the warfare is spiritual. May God give us wisdom. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Thank you for tonight, and I thank you for every person that's here and those over the internet and the radio throughout the world or whoever's listening. That if there's somebody here who doesn't know you out there listening in the world, that you would call on the name of the Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life, and he will save you right now. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. For God has allowed you to hear the program that you might call on the name of the Lord and repent from your sins, that he might make you his child by grace through faith and forgive you of all your sins, burying the deepest ocean and put them behind his back, never to be mentioned again. This is your prayer of repentance. Very simple, very basic. If you agree that you're a sinner, an enemy of God, and that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, and sits at the right hand of the Father, ready to make an intercession to forgive you your sins and to make you his child. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.